got my keys. My briefcase. regret to inform you, that'll be the last time you see those two cute little kids in videos for any time to come. Enough focus on my little son. <laughs> Fun stuff. Well, we have uh, talked a lot these past four weeks. We've covered a lot of ground related to God's answer to our anxiety, and uh, we've looked at how we grow in peace with self how we would not be owned by our worries. We've looked at uh, growing in peace with others and some ABCs for how we can do that, how we can get reconciled with other people. We've also talked in this series about how we can get through any trial by the power of Christ who is within us to strengthen us. And this morning we want to uh, bite off a really big topic, which we won't be able to cover in full today, but it's a significant one that we need to cover and it's financial peace. How do we gain a greater sense of peace with our finances? And um, this is a big issue for many of us. We'll do our best to attack it in the next 35 minutes. I have a lot of passages to go through this morning. And I just want to, I think, start off today uh, by simply declaring that we have to embrace the fact that personal finance will not be easy. It won't be easy for us. We all, I, I think, uh, should accept that. We should embrace that it won't be easy for us. And there will be real trial well, when it comes to finances. And there will be great worry when it comes to finances. Uh, just before Christmas, I watched a little video clip of um, Oprah Winfrey on the Stephen Colbert late night show. And they were talking about their favorite Bible verses. Ordinary late night talk television material, right? What's your favorite Bible verse? And uh, Oprah Winfrey shared one, and then uh, Stephen Colbert shared, my favorite Bible verse is Matthew 6.25, do not worry. And uh, he says, don't worry, so I'm not going to worry. That settles it. I don't have to deal with that anymore. If only it were that easy, right? If only it were that easy. I think particularly with respect to finances, we all simply need to acknowledge that it won't be easy to overcome financial worries and anxieties. But a big first step, and this is just kind of an add-on to this morning's message, a big first step is simply acknowledging the fact that personal finance will not be easy. It'll take work. I work with many young couples in pre-marriage counseling, and then oftentimes shortly after they've been married, uh, they'll come to me and, and we'll start talking about finances, and I'll ask about their financial plans. And from time to time, I've heard young couples say, I just figured it would just naturally kind of happen. It won't. It won't. 
uh, inevitably, different ideas about finances and about debt and about giving and about spending, they collide, and as they collide in relationships, it inevitably causes incredible anxiety and worry in our marriages. Uh, the book of Proverbs puts it this way, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now, even there, that's a, a proverb, so it doesn't mean that uh, all the time, this is not an ironclad promise that you can anticipate every time if you're diligent, you will be abundant, and if you are hasty, you will be impoverished. It's a proverb. Proverbs, by their very definition, are generalities. And generally speaking, if you're hasty, you'll come to poverty. Generally speaking, if you're diligent, it will help you financially. You've got to plan ahead. But sometimes even that won't happen. That said, Proverbs here and many other places say plan. Plan for the future. Plan to become frugal people, generous people, to eliminate debt. We all actively need to do that. Me too. Some of us think that it would be easy to have lots of money. It would be hard to have very little money, but it would be easy to have lots of money. And if I only had this much money, fill in the blank, then life would be really easy and I wouldn't have anxiety about money. Have you ever thought that? A few people raise their hand. Many of us think that. The great railroad magnate from the 19th century, William Vanderbilt, responded to that idea by writing, the care of $200 million is too great a load for any back or brain to bear. There is no pleasure in it. To which some of us would say, I'd like to give it a try. <laughs> He's saying no matter what, if you have a lot or a little, but especially if you have a lot, you will deal with different worries than you deal with when you don't have much. And to cite more recent examples, we think of the many lottery winners, lotto winners, whose lives have become total disasters after they won the lottery. I mean, their stories are now legendary because new kinds of worries came into their lives, new troubles came into their lives once they had money. The point is, whether you have a little or a lot, you have to plan to use what you have. You have to be diligent about that. And if you don't, love of money or worry over money can rule over you. To that end, I just want to give you this quick announcement that um, starting here in a couple months on March 30th, we'll have our next edition of the Financial Peace University class. And you might just write that down in your calendar, take note of it now. If you've never been through Financial Peace University or some other um, biblical financial approach to managing your personal finances, I'd encourage you to consider this. If you're struggling with debt, you're struggling with financial worry, this is a great class to help you begin to talk about personal financial management in a safe place in which there will be no condemnation but just help. And that will be read, led by Ron Eckloff here at the church down in the space shuttle room downstairs. There is no guarantee that your bank account will rocket to the moon, but it's a safe place to talk about great principles for personal financial management. Okay. That's just a bonus to this morning's message. We're going to move in now to one of our two main passages. First, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and then we'll jump over to Philippians chapter 4. But if you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read Jesus, our Savior, the wisest teacher of all time, speaking about worry as it relates to money. Matthew 6, starting at verse 24. Are you there? 
You can nod your head at me. It is helpful. <laughs> okay, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please teach us from this beautiful text. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that this is your inspired word, and we ask, God, that you would teach us relative to anxiety with our finances, that we would surrender our lives and our hearts increasingly to you, that we would increasingly surrender our finances to you and trust in you to provide for our every need. We love you, Lord, and we ask for your help today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, when did Jesus teach this lesson? Was it just last week? Because it seems like it was written for today, doesn't it? I mean, the amount of us that struggle with financial anxiety are manifold. This is the problem that we have. We lose our peace because we tend to dwell in the what-ifs of tomorrow. And nowhere is that more evident for us than in the area of finances. I mean, it seems like Jesus wrote this specifically for us in 2016, Look up here, verse 24, once again. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You simply cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible, Jesus said. He literally, in this passage, deifies money by saying it's a rival God that will grab your heart and grab your attention, and as it does, you will become unraveled because of worry. And we cannot serve both at the same time. Many of us look for happiness in money. Many people you have known over the years have looked for happiness in money and the things that it buys, and that's a form of deifying money. It's making it a God. Money won't ever make us happy. You've heard it so many times, it's cliche, but it is true. Money will not ever make a person happy. Instead, what happens as we deify money, as we look to it for, for happiness, we end up getting more and more covetous 
within our souls, and then anxiety grows. None other than John Rockefeller, who was undoubtedly the richest man in all of history, was asked how much money it took to make a man happy. You know what his response was? Just a little more. Just a little more. There's no question by modern standards with inflation, he was the richest man in all of history. How much money is it necessary to make a man happy? A little more than what he currently has. To which Jesus says, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Life is not gained by having more and more. Indeed, the pursuit of more and more money oftentimes only leads to more and more anxiety. And so he goes on to say in verse 25, Therefore, because of that, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat in the future, this is all future-oriented, or what you will drink in the future, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus' point here is that it's critical that we would fight against anxiety as it relates to finances and one of the primary ways that we fight against anxiety as it relates to our money is refusing to live in tomorrow and refusing to live in yesterday. As it relates to finances or it relates to almost all of life, we refuse to live in yesterday or tomorrow. We choose to live in today. In order to lessen our worries about the future, Jesus welcomes us to pray for our daily needs each and every day. You think about this, when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, would you please teach us how to pray? He gave the Lord's Prayer, and it was in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus said, say to your Father, would you give us, Father, this day our daily bread? Would you provide enough for me on this specific day, that I would have enough to make it through these 24 hours. And Jesus, of course, is saying the same exact thing here in verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. Or as the ESV puts it, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the nature of worry, isn't it? It will find you each day. Sufficient for today is the trouble for today, which means tomorrow new troubles will come. And so when we worry about tomorrow's troubles, we're literally doubling our troubles because we got some to deal with right now. And so to the extent that we live in tomorrow, we double those troubles and we fail to receive what God has for us today. God, God really cares about us, but he cares about us on each and every day such that we would learn to trust in him on a day-in and day-out basis, not for what is coming tomorrow, but for what he has for us today. And this is critical for us in the area of provision. You think about um, Exodus chapter 16. That might be a chapter to, to read later on this week. It's this incredible story in which the Israelites have come out of the slavery that they are in in, in, uh, in Egypt, and they're wandering through the wilderness, going to the promised land in Canaan, and they're hoping to get there, and in the midst of, of, of the wandering, they run into a famine. And they don't have food, and so they start complaining against Moses, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? We were slaves there, but at least we had food. And so God provides for them, and you might remember that God provided by sending quails every day. And then this other substance called manna, and manna was this bread-like substance that they were to eat every day and gather every day. 
But God didn't allow them to gather up manna for tomorrow. He had them only gather for today. And what happened to those who gathered up additional manna for tomorrow? What happened to that manna? It rotted. And it got full of maggots. And it was useless. And that was an object lesson from God to the Israelites, and it's an object lesson from God to us today that we are to trust God for our daily provision. And in the same way, what Jesus is doing here is giving an object lesson of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, that in the same way they have to trust God for today, so also we increasingly want to grow in our trust of God for today, which is really, really difficult for us to do. Now, I don't know about you, I go to the grocery store and I shop for the whole week. Jesus wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that, but what he is doing here is giving us these object lessons to say, you focus on God today and he will care for you with your needs. In the same way that he provides beautiful clothing for the lilies of the field, clothing that King Solomon could never touch, clothing that Warren Buffett could never touch, so also he clothes you far more beautifully because he cares about you more than the birds of the air. He cares about them too, but he cares about people even more. Or you think of uh, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and the birds, how they get their provision. And uh, come five o'clock, they might start to get a little bit hungry and they're looking around and all of a sudden God pops out of that soil a worm. There you go, bird, my special gift for you. And what Jesus is saying there is in the same way, you might be feeling like, where am I going to find my next meal? And God might, through his people, right at the hour of need, pop up a worm through someone else who seeks to bring a meal to you just when you need it. God cares for us in the moment that we need it. As we noted in the passage a couple weeks ago, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul puts it this way. He says, don't be anxious about anything today, but instead pray. Turn all your anxieties into prayer. Uh, Don't be anxious, but uh, pray and petition to God. Give your supplications to God with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that is all written in the present tense, speaking of right now. God desires to care for us as we choose to be still and know that he is God. He will provide for us starting today. This just needs to be stated over and over again because all of us are tempted to live in tomorrow especially. Some of us, unfortunately, live in yesterday, and there's a lot of bad stuff in yesterday, but I think most of us get our joy and our peace stolen by living so much in tomorrow. Maybe an illustration would help. Do you remember those old um, TVs that maybe you had well when you were a kid, at least the older people in the room like me? You had a TV well when you were a kid that actually was a piece of furniture and it was probably wider backward, or I guess deeper than it was wide. Did you have one of those? And, and it looked like this piece of furniture, and it had a little dial on the top that maybe had the numbers one, two, and three. Raise your hand if you had one of those TVs growing up. Okay. All the young people in the audience did not raise their hand. They're looking at me like, what are you talking about? This, really, th- this is the way TV was. You had three channels. There was ABC and CBS and NBC. And if you wanted to switch over, you didn't get a remote control, you had to walk up to that TV and switch the channel. And sometimes you would get stuck and you have to call in backup help, brother, come help me switch the channel. This really happened in our house. You switch over from one 
to two, and to three. Friends, that's life. There's only three channels to life. Channel one is yesterday. Channel two is today. And channel three is tomorrow. And God wants us to spend about 90% of the time in channel two, today. Because over in channel one, there's some good stuff. I have some good nostalgic memories, Bob, back in channel one. But I also have a lot of junk back there. And if I focus too much on channel one, I start to feel a great level of anxiety and disappointment over the ways that I've disappointed people and the mistakes that I made, and I can start to feel condemnation. I can forget that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I go over to channel three, and that's where all of my peace is robbed because I start to think, do I have enough money for my kid's college someday 10 years from now? Will I have enough money for retirement sometime 50 years from now? or whatever it is, 40 years from now. Uh, number three robs your peace. Number one can rob your peace. God wants us to be still and know that he is God today, that he loves us and will care about our daily needs. He wants to spend about 90% of our time just dwelling within channel two. Cast all of your anxieties on him today because he cares for you right now. We learn from yesterday, but we surrender it to God. We learn from all of yesterday's mistakes, but we surrender all of those to God. God, you take those away. Don't bring those to my mind anymore because you've forgotten them. Allow me to forget those. We plan for tomorrow, but we surrender tomorrow to God. We focus our energy on today. A huge piece of this is our finances. The Bible understands and it just explicitly says that a root of our misery is the love of money and the things that money buys. One of the fundamental reasons that many of us are not content is because we deify the dollar. We actually believe that it will make us happy. And trusting in money is sin, which leads to envy and covetousness. And then advertisers play on that. They know that it's the human natural state to trust in money. And advertisers then play on that, and the goal of contemporary advertising, at least on a national level, is to make you covet more, is to make you feel like what you have is not good enough, but what you, do, what you don't have, if you buy this product, it will make you happy. So make you dissatisfied with what you have, and then make you believe that you'll be happy if you get this. The goal of advertising is to um, lean into uh, our sinful nature and to make us covet, such that we can watch some of these commercials and come to believe that if I got this razor, I would actually become handsome. No, you won't. <laughs> You'll still be the same person. Okay, if you actually got this car, then somehow you'd be cool. No, you'd still be the same person. Okay, that's why we drive old cars. We know we're not cool. Don't believe all that stuff. It's baloney. Don't listen to that. It leads us to confuse our needs with our wants, and then covetousness and anxiety over what we do not have starts to creep into our hearts. Jesus says instead, I love you emotionally, spiritually, physically, today. Will you trust me for today? Refuse to live in the anxieties of tomorrow. Refuse to live in the regrets and the worries about the past. Choose instead to receive the gift of Christ and his love for you.
today. Turn over with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4. I'm supposed to be finishing out the book of Philippians this morning. I better get to it. Uh, Philippians 4 has been so wonderful thinking about God's care for us, his desire for us to grow in peace. You remember this context in which Paul closes out the book of Philippians. He is in prison and he's hungry. And he just told his church, I have learned the secret of being content no matter what. I've learned the secret of being content while I'm in this jail cell, while I'm being persecuted. I've learned the secret of being content whether I'm feasting or really hungry. Whether I have a lot in my bank account or have a big zero in my bank account. And the secret is I know that I can get through by the power of Christ who is in me, strengthen me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's out of that, he says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you, it was kind of you, church, to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and even more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what happened is, during Paul's various missionary journeys, this relatively poor church kept on supporting him financially. They kept on caring, him, caring for him in his mission's efforts. And even though they didn't have much, though, they wanted to supply to this great missionary for the expansion of the kingdom of God and the planting of great churches all over. And so he reminds them, thank you for your generosity in the past. And if it's possible, if it's possible, would you supply for me again? But even if you can't, he goes on to say, my God, verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours and mine according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a word that is. I don't know if I'll get through. I'm hungry right now. But I'm trusting in God to provide a worm for me just when I need it. And he might do so through you or he might do, do so through some other means. But either way, I'm trusting in God to come through. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been through an experience recently where you've had to downsize. Where you went from a house that you really loved to a very small apartment. And that's painful. Or you've had to cut your food budget in half and you used to eat spaghetti and meatballs, and you wish you still could, but right now you're just eating ramen. And that's frustrating. But you got to believe, even there, that God can still provide for you in your hunger. And you got to remind yourself of this promise. My God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Would you read that aloud with me? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. you got to believe that. 
This is an ironclad promise that we can hold on to, that God will care for his people in our time of need. And sometimes it'll be through his people in his church. That's what Paul notes here, that you all provided for me, you shared in my troubles again and again. And we would want you to know, though, that if you come to a place of great financial need here at Carney E. Free, we'll care for you. We want you to be a part of a life group for that very purpose, to help care for each other, but also our D&D ministry will help care for you. Our storehouse ministry will help care for you. We may not be able to supply for all of the wants that you have, but we give thanks to God that his provision and his plan is to provide for all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And those needs include his great love and food and drink and clothing You might have a need today for forgiveness, and you got to know that God will provide that. You might have a need today for basic provision, and God will provide that. You have a need today to get through the storms of life, and our God can provide that. You have a need today to know that you are part of a family, part of God's family, and you got to know that God will provide for that need as well, that need, that desire to be loved by God, to be a part of his family, that's part of your need as well, and God will provide for that. When we believe these kinds of things, we hold on to these truths, when we receive the great love of God for us today, anxiety begins to melt. It has a small place when our trust in God is big and when we understand how great our God is really is. Take a look at one more video with me. We showed one testimony a couple weeks ago from Carrie Carpenter as she shared her story of navigating through anxiety. And I'd like to share one more story. This is from a gentleman in our church that I have great respect for and many of you do as well. And he has learned to navigate through his worries, his fears, his anxieties, through some of the same things that we've been talking about these previous weeks. And you may not have even known that this leader struggles with fear and anxiety because many of us have become experts at hiding this. But listen to his story and allow yourself to be inspired by it. Uh, My name is Dave Challey, and I've struggled with anxiety for most of my adult life. I'd become pretty good at hiding it, but over time, it became increasingly more difficult for me to pretend that I was okay. Early on in life, I had some some loss and some some challenges. Um, I lost my uh, my mom and my brother in a drunk driving accident. I I literally watched uh, my mother die. Um, And my brother, who was sitting just right next to me, um, was killed as well. So I learned at an early age that your worst fears really could come true. In the next few years, my father remarried, and um, so we were in a blended family, and and blended families can be difficult. And for me, um, it was difficult. Um, I was uh, in a situation where my my self-worth was was challenged. Uh, I felt like I was worthless. Um, I couldn't do anything right. Um, And out of those two, uh, those, those two uh, early uh, childhood traumas, um, it led me to become uh, a people pleaser. Um, I was obsessed with, with work. Um, that, that was an area where I could uh, try to get approval. Um, 
so I could not make a mistake. I uh, had to be the first one at work, the last one to leave, uh, never took days off. So the way I could get approval there was to perform at work. And coming out of that as well, I started, um, you know, I'd be asked to serve on a board or, or a committee here and there. And, uh, and so I would do it. And early on, it, it, it worked. It was uh, things that I wanted to be involved in. Um, but as I, I did that, um, I was asked to do other things and, and serve in other ways and volunteer in other ways. And since I couldn't say no, um, I said yes. And it, it kept mounting. I think at one time I was on uh, eight different boards or committees, and, and uh, in many cases I was, I was leading a number of them. And so um, my inability to say no, uh, my, my desperate need for approval, um, led me to, to get out of control. Um, I, was, I was over my head, and I was in uh, positions where um, you know, I, I, I was leading, but I felt like anything but a leader. And that gap was so wide, um, I, was, um, yeah, felt like, I felt like I was living a lie. I felt like I would have to go to work or I would have to go um, to these places uh, and I would have to act like a leader. But I didn't feel like a leader. Um, it caught up with me and I just crumbled. Um, I remember having, having chest pains. Uh, I remember it being difficult um, to be in, in public settings. I, uh, I got in the habit of I would, I would come to church uh, late and I would leave early just so I didn't have to, to communicate with people or, or act in front of people. I was also afraid they might ask me to, to serve or volunteer or, or do something. And I was afraid I was either gonna say yes and further bury myself, or I was gonna say no and be consumed by guilt because I didn't please them, I didn't meet with their approval. And so that um, ultimately I ended up um, at the hospital trying to figure out um, if I was having a heart attack. I began to resign from or rotate off of uh, almost every board that I was on. I had gotten to the point where I had finally said, enough, uh, I can't live this way anymore. I know God doesn't want me to live this way anymore. It says in Proverbs 29:25 that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. And I knew I was caught up in that in a huge way. I was, I was living to please people. I was living to not disappoint people rather than living to please God. Another verse that I spent a lot of time looking at was 2 Corinthians 10.5, where in it we're, we're told to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Um, and I became aware that the main battleground for me, uh, anyway, was in my mind. And it was really important for me to take those thoughts captive. Um, I could have um, an anxious thought without becoming anxious. I could have a fearful thought without becoming fearful. I had the ability, and God showed me in his word that I had the ability to take those thoughts captive, and that was incredibly important to me. I really needed to do that. Part of the reason that um, it took me so long to um, bring other people into my life was I was, I was too embarrassed to admit um, what I was struggling with. I wanted to be fixed before I started sharing my story with other people. Um, what I didn't realize, though, it was sharing my story in the midst of pain that was going to help me get better. It was going to help me and others around me too. Um, 
when, when I share my pain with them, so many of them said, yeah, me too. And so my hope and prayer is that by me sharing this story, someone else might say me too. One of the things that God taught me through this process, and it's a hard lesson to learn, especially for men, is that it's okay to not be okay. And I didn't think that for the longest time. I thought I had to be okay. I thought I had to, to be the best. I thought I needed to be a certain thing to other people in order to, to gain acceptance. And what I desperately needed to realize, and I am starting to do that now as I'm beginning to heal, um, is that I am accepted by God. I was accepted by God, and I always will be accepted by God. How powerful is that? Isn't that great? To hear Dave say, I can have a fearful thought without becoming a fearful person. I can have an anxious thought without becoming anxious. I, I'd want to say me too to that. Perhaps many of us in the room would say me too to that. That's what I want. So if you get nothing else from anything that I said this morning, I pray you take home what Dave just said. I was, I am, and I always will be accepted by God. If you want anxiety to melt and peace to reign in your life, in the area of finances, in your relationships, in your trials, you got to know that by the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, you were accepted. You are accepted. You always will be accepted by God. So as I wrap up this series, I want to leave you with one final verse. And it's this one from 1 John chapter 4. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Jesus is the embodiment of perfect love. And as we get Christ more and more in us, as we get his spirit more and more in us, we experience this reality that we are accepted by God and therefore anxiety and insecurity and fear and all of the rest, uh, they melt away. Those are all branches of the same tree and they, they become less as we understand that we are accepted by the one who is perfect love. We receive the gift of Christ's perfect love for us today. We grow in trust in Christ. We exalt our great God. We ask that he would grow our trust to become great and our worries become small. And so I just want to leave you this challenge as we finish out this series. What, what's one area that you need to increasingly trust God in your relationships, in your finances, in a trial with your worries? Write it down. Commit to growing in that area, studying more in that area over the weeks to come. Going back and re-listening to that message again, memorizing a passage related to that, and expect our great God, who is perfect love, to help you in that area. Would you do that with me? Would you commit to identifying one area that you need to grow in this ongoing fight against anxiety? Would you do that with me? Raise your hand if you will. Okay. Please commit to that. We want to grow 
peace because we belong to God. And that'll never be taken away from us. And I gotta just say, as I close this out, that if you don't have peace today and you do not know Christ yourself, that is where peace begins. Knowing Christ is your savior. And so long as you don't know that your sins have been forgiven, it's gonna be very difficult for you to find peace because you will not have peace with your creator. The place that peace truly begins for all of us is peace with our creator, which is found through the cross of Christ, through which we gain forgiveness and acceptance into God's family and out of which we begin to grow in peace with self. And so perhaps you've been here for a while and you've never actually bent your knee to Christ and I would encourage that today may be the day that God is calling you to him through his son. Or maybe you've been away from Christ for some time and I encourage you that maybe today is the day that the Christ is calling you back to him to recommit yourself to him, to admit that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as we all have and make today the day to follow him again. So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me if you're gonna make a commitment to Christ today, to pray with me if you're gonna make a commitment to trust Christ and ask him to overcome your anxieties and to grow in that area, whatever that area is for you. Would you bow your head with me and uh, we'll ask God to do work in us. Father, how I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful passage. There is no fear in the love of Christ, but perfect love casts out our fears. Lord Jesus, as we get to know you better, fear and anxiety and worry shrink. So I ask for all of my friends today, Lord, that you would grow us in a deep abiding trust in God such that our fears would not reign over our lives. Father, for any that are in here today and have acknowledged they, they want to grow in a deeper trust in God and they feel like they've been overcome by anxiety or worry, I ask God that you would help them from today. That today would be the beginning of a new life in which they can overcome their anxieties by the grace of God. That you would uh, grant them the discipline to work really hard with you to gain more peace in their lives. Father, we know four talks from the stage won't do it. We need you to continue to journey with us, and so we submit to you, we surrender to you, and we ask, God, that you would help us in these weeks to come. And Father, I pray for any who are here today who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. For any who are here today and they've been away from Christ for a long, long time and they know that they've been living for self, Perhaps they've made money their God, or perhaps power or prestige their God. Perhaps sex or alcohol or drugs or the approval of man. In one way or another, we all find substitutes for the Creator, whose rightful place is at the center of our hearts. So if you've been there and you'd like to commit to Christ this morning as every Eye is closed in this room. I wonder if you would just raise your hand if you're ready to recommit to Christ today or commit to him for the very first time. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May it be. I pray for these brothers and sisters who have just raised their hand, Lord God, that right now 
you would enable them the courage to look at the cross and say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? And receive the truth that Jesus will forgive you of every sin that you have ever committed. And you do not get right with God, you do not gain peace with God by anything you bring to the table, but by the grace and the love and the sacrificial death of Christ. Would you receive that today? If you raise your hand this morning and you, you pray, Jesus, would you forgive me? Receive this truth. Our God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he will cleanse you right now. I pray for my friends who have raised their hand this morning that you would grant them peace with God. And out of that peace with the Father, they would grow in peace internally. That they would know God forgives them as far as the east is from the west. So far you have forgiven our sins from us. And that you would give them a new lease and a new hope starting today. God, we give you all glory for those that you brought to yourself this morning. We give you all glory for the ways you're giving us growing peace to overcome our fears. We love you, Lord. We give you all the credit. In Christ's name.